Oh man, it is Resurrection Sunday. Jesus killed death and Jesus is alive today, right? I mean, right, it's so good to be together in this space. You know, when we think about the story of Jesus and we start thinking through victory, we understand that victory oftentimes requires sacrifice. It's true that sometimes people win and it doesn't require sacrifice, but oftentimes, I mean, we, we take, for example, the NCAA championship, uh, both men's and women's that just happened. You know, in order for UConn to become the 2023 NCAA men's championship team, my guess is it required some blood, some sweat, and some tears, likely some tears along the way. It required this sacrifice of time it required a sacrifice of their talent and it required sacrifice of treasure in a lot of different ways. And as we look at this and we see this, the cool thing about this championship for UConn is that not only will it affect these young men's lives for the rest of their life, it also is gonna affect their families. It affects the fans of UConn. And in fact, most of the fans actually consider themselves champions as well, right? Because they have lived vicariously through this team. They have been through the highs and the lows and they've cheered them on all along the way. This is a story that is not unfamiliar to us. Do you know why? It's because it's part of the story. This is the story that God wove into each and every one of our beings as he brought us into this world and breathed life into us. And so, yes, we get crazy about our athletic teams, don't we? Because they are telling a story. They're telling the story that we hope is the story of our lives. Whenever it all seems lost, we're able to come out on the other side and prevail victorious. And the cool thing is, is that we are guaranteed a victory in one area of our lives. And that is Jesus. We're guaranteed victory to be on the winning team, the team that will win year after year after year, while UConn is kind of excited right now, but next year's coming for them, right? But Jesus, we have victory year after year after year, and it never ends. Today, tomorrow, and forever ever more. You know, today we're hoping to capture at a different level the meaning, the sacrifice, and the impact of the cross as Jesus chose to crawl up on that cross, die to himself so that you and I can live. Where death died, where we don't have to fear death anymore, because we know for all those who are in Jesus, we're guaranteed eternity. To where our physical bodies, yeah, they are going to cease to draw breath and they're going to cease to be alive on this earth, but our soul will carry on for all eternity in relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's a beautiful reality because Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection changed everything for everyone, then, now, and forevermore. It's why our key truth for tonight is Jesus is the source of life change. If you're here and you're like, man, I'm just tired of life being this grind where, you know, this day happens and then the next day I go to sleep and the next day happens and it's, it's the same story, you know, or man, just trouble seems to be just repeating itself and there's this cycle where I'm needing to be rescued and then I'm able to come out on the other side and then I gotta be rescued again and all this kind of stuff. If you're ready for the grind to change, Jesus is the source of life change. 
For those of you that have been in Jesus for years and years and years, you know this, but yet your story still may be where this cycle is continuing. Jesus is the source of life change, still the source of life change. Those of you in this room that you've yet to call on Jesus and you're trying to figure out if Jesus really is the source of life, we're here tonight to repeat maybe in your life or to give the guarantee, and it's not just a stamp on a box, it's genuine guarantee, Jesus is indeed the source of life change. And we're gonna talk about how we know that to be true by this important story that's found in John chapter 11. Now, you have several different ways to access the Word of God tonight. Obviously, on your phones, you can pull up the Word of God via the YouVersion app or some other Bible app that's on your phone. Um, you're welcome to obviously use your physical Bible that you have in the room. We also are going to carry it on the screens tonight, and so please feel free to use that uh, as well. If you want to write down Scripture passages and stuff like that for future reference, feel free to do so. But while you're getting there, have you ever read a portion of Scripture or had a portion of Scripture read to you and you've wondered what you're supposed to do to understand it? I mean, chances are pretty oftentimes we've read something and gone, what am I supposed to do with that? The good news for you tonight is that's not the story we're sharing tonight. Uh, because the story we're sharing tonight, from the start to the finish, it is clear as to the purpose of this story. It is clear of what the goal of this story is all about. God explicitly tells why things are happening the way that they are. So everything that we're about to read about, everything that people experienced when it comes to Lazarus's illness, John eleven four tells us, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified. Now, man, that's some church talk, isn't it? That's some churchy lingo. You may be kind of going, okay, I get it, glory. I know, I, I, I kind of understand the idea behind it, but let me just make sure we're all on the same page. To give glory or to be glorified for those present at the time of this story and to us as readers of this story basically means to see God clearly. That's it. To give glory means to to, to work at wiping away whatever might prevent someone from seeing God clearly. It's the glorification process. And so the neat thing is, is that when those present and us as readers see God clearly, through seeing Jesus clearly, what ends up happening is in this relationship we get to share with God and as the, the, the truth about who God is and the, truth of, the real truth about Jesus as we encounter those things, what ends up happening is the Holy Spirit then is able to help us see ourselves clearly. Because when God is glorified, we will see our reflection in God. And as we see our reflection, then we're able to see where we stand. We see how God sees us. We see how God sees the people that we're in contact with in our lives. And this is the idea of the glorification process. So when we read that this story is for the glory of God, it's to help you and me see God clearly. It's to help you and me understand who Jesus really is. Not the 21st century Jesus that's a spiritual crutch that people use as an excuse for their good or for their selfish benefit. That's not who we're talking about. We're talking about the real Jesus. The real Jesus.
revealed Jesus. And that's what we're, we're going to get to experience is this glory. And so that Jesus, the Son of God, the real Jesus, may be seen clearly. Now, later on in the book, John writes for us um, and, and explains, God is explaining through John why any of the book was written. And so he helps us understand the full picture here. So I just want to make sure we're really clear as to why we're reading this. John 20, 31 says that this has been written, these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. This is to give proof that Jesus really is who Jesus said Jesus was. Jesus still is today the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And we're talking about something so much more than you just being able to breathe in oxygen and be alive as a human being on this earth. We're talking about living life to the fullest. We're not talking about going to work and making money and doing the rat race and all that. No, no, no. We're talking about really living where you see what this world is really all about and you see this world for what it is, which is temporary. And we live with the hope and we live with the longing of heaven. That's what life's about. And this is what we're talking about here tonight. So let's get into it tonight. See, Jesus had this close relationship with this particular family, a very close relationship with them. And Lazarus, who is the brother of the family, was not well. He was sick. And so after a couple of days, he, he, he knew that Lazarus was sick. And after a little while, a couple of days, Jesus decides against the protests of the followers that were with him, the people that were giving him even counsel, if you will. He said, I'm gonna, I think we need to go back to Judea and help Lazarus. Well, at this time, what's important to understand is that Jesus was a wanted man. Now, he not only was wanted alive or dead, he was most preferably wanted dead. And so this was a very serious thing, and especially in Judea, and going back to Judea would be the beginning of the end of his life here on this earth. He knew it, his followers knew it, and the authorities in Judea couldn't wait for him to show up again so that they could put an end to what he had been doing. But Jesus brushes off the disciples' concerns. He counted the cost. He understood the cost. He understood the sacrifice because he was fully committed to the work that God the Father had given him. He knew why he was here on this earth. And his, in his humanity and in his divinity, he knew why he was here and what he was coming to do. And so we pick up the story in verse 11 of chapter 11 there. And we see, after he had brushed off their concerns. He went on to tell the disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples thinking earthly talk here said, well, Lord, if he sleeps, he's going to get better because isn't it true when you don't feel good, if you get a good night's rest, maybe you feel a little bit better the next morning, right? And Jesus is like, you're missing the point. Yeah, you're not seeing exactly, you're not picking up what I'm putting down. Jesus was speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He's died. And for your sake, this was this big moment, I'm glad I was not there. So that you may believe there's going to be glory happening. There's a glorification process that's about to happen. And I'm glad I wasn't there so that you're going to experience the realness of God and the realness of Jesus. 
He says, let's go to him. Verse 16, then Thomas, we know him as Doubting Thomas. He's also known as Didymus. He said in a snarky way to the rest of the disciples, yeah, let us all go. Might as well all die with him. They knew it was a death sentence to show up. Him, his followers, it was dangerous for them to show up, but yet they were willing to go. They went with him. And on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, there's another character in this story, a woman named Martha. Martha is grieving, understandably so, because her brother has died. They've been good friends with Jesus. Jesus has been known to be one who could heal, who could, who could help them who are sick, be restored to health. And she is grieving. She assumes that if Jesus had been there, then certainly Lazarus would not have died because Jesus could have healed his body. But he'd also been dead for four days, been in the tomb for four days, a long time, which by that time she had accepted the fact that he was indeed gone. The reality of his death was very real. And now the reality for her turned to a hope of the resurrection that is to come for her brother. So she has been wrestling with this. And you can imagine that with the weight of what she was experiencing. And Jesus then says to her in verse 23, a confusing statement to her. He says, your brother will rise again. And she's thinking earthly terms, right? She's thinking, and well, actually, she's actually thinking, no, wait a minute, I'm not sure. She answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So she's like, yeah, he's gone in the here and now, but I know he'll rise again in the resurrection in the last day because most of the Jews at the time believed in an eventual resurrection. They believed that God would care for the soul of the deceased until God would give his people new bodies when he judged and remade the whole world. The Jewish community believed this. And Jesus then looks at her and says, no, 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 Martha, you're missing what I'm saying. The disciples were missing it because they couldn't see the big picture. Martha's missing it because she couldn't see the big picture. And Jesus in verse 25 says to Martha, she, he says, I'm the overcomer of death. I'm the overcomer of death, the resurrection. And I am the sustainer of life, life. I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, I'm the overcomer of death and I am the sustainer of life. This is, Jesus was trying to help Martha see, hey, focus in on the one that would do the resurrecting rather than on the event itself that Lazarus was gone. Think beyond just the here and now because there's something much larger going on here. What he's helping his hearers understand, those that are experiencing, he's helping us as readers of his word to understand is that the resurrected life of the Christ follower would usher in not just a future event, but life also in the here and now. Martha, there was no way she was going to be able to understand this. She was just mourning and kind of going to what she knew as far as her faith was concerned. And so this new way that Jesus was ushering in in this conversation is that a person's life that is rooted in God's love 
begins when a person believes and then continues on for eternity. Because you see, Jesus was saying, no, we're about to get to the place where you don't die anymore. Your body is going to die, but your soul never dies. Because I'm about to kill death. Golgotha is where death dies for all those who are in Christ. See, John goes on to tell of Jesus connecting with this family on an emotional compassion level as he is moved to tears in this passage. Verse 33, Jesus saw the other sister, Mary. Now, this was the Mary who eventually would break the alabaster jar of perfume and would begin anointing Jesus's body prior to his burial that was to come. She was seen by Jesus and she's weeping. She's mourning the loss of her brother. The Jews who had come along with her were also weeping. And Jesus, seeing Mary, was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. He entered into her world at a level we only dream of being able to enter into the world of those that are hurting. He says, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then the shortest verse in scripture, if you're ever in a quiz game, right? Here it is, 1135, Jesus wept. Now this idea of weeping is not just one where Jesus was letting a tear run down his cheek. This was a full on, full body mourning. We might call it an ugly cry. You might call it something like that, but this is it. Jesus wept and the Jews that were there, they look and they say, see how he loved him. Mary, Martha, the Jews that were with, and the disciples all didn't get it. They could see what's happening in the here and now, and all of these things come with really good motives, and all of these things are good things. The resurrection at the, uh, that was going to come, and yes, Jesus loved Lazarus and this family. Yes, all of that is really good. The disciples wanting to protect Jesus from going to Judea and, ha- and, and being killed. All of this is good, but none of which could see the big picture. Because what literally is happening here is this heart of compassion and this heart of empathy in Jesus is way more vivid than him mourning the loss of his friend. Because Jesus was not only mourning the loss of his friend, but this word for deeply moved as he looked on to Mary, this word deeply moved finds its root in another word. It finds its root in the word that means to snort with anger. You've you've imagined the bull that's breathing out of his nose, right? On a cold morning or something like that. There's this anger. There's this, I am sad and I am mad at what is going on here. I mean, yeah, Jesus knew that Lazarus would rise to life again. He knew what was coming on. He understood this. And this Reality that Jesus was sad for his friend, but there is something way bigger than Lazarus's momentary loss of life because Jesus's grief and Jesus's anger, Jesus's weeping was about the pain of sin. It was about the pain of death and what that creates in this world for the people Jesus loves. Jesus was weeping over the fact that life is hard. 
He was weeping over the fact that there are going to be people that are going to betray you. He was weeping over the fact that people are going to be selfish and they are going to hurt others intentionally and they are going to hurt others unintentionally. Jesus was sad that his friend was dead, but he was even greater. He was even angry about the fact that sin and death hurt the people that he loves. Hurt the people that he was on this earth to give life to, to give hope to. This is the meaning of Lazarus's death. And so here comes the moment, right? Jesus goes with Mary and Martha to Lazarus's tomb. And boy, this smacks of another story that we're celebrating today, doesn't it? Verse 38b, it was a cave with a stone that was laid across the entrance. And Jesus says, take away the stone. And then Martha has a real, real experience in this moment, right? She's the sister and she's like, dude, Jesus, he's been in there a long time. It's about to stink. Like this is gonna smell really, really bad if you move that stone. And Jesus is like, Martha, you still don't get it. This is about so much more than a dead body. This is about so much more than the stink, the stench of sin and death, the darkness of this world. It's about so much more than these things. Jesus says in verse 40, did I not tell you if you believe you will see the glory of God? Did I not tell you if you believe you'll see God clearly? Did I not tell you if you believe you'll see me clearly? This is Jesus speaking. Did I not tell you if you believe then God will help you see you clearly in this moment. But Martha couldn't see the full picture. She could only see, of course, in her trauma, in her hurt, she could only see what was happening in that moment. And so they took away the stone in verse 41. Jesus looks up and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit the glorification process of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. So now we have Jesus telling the disciples, I'm glad we weren't there when he died. We have Jesus now telling all of the people that are there as he's praying to his heavenly father, I'm really glad that this is all happening because you're about to see God clearly. No one wants to go through the darkness. But what is important is as we go through the darkness that we see God clearly and that we see Jesus clearly. Verse 43, when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And he says to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. See, Jesus was conquering death before Jesus conquered death himself. Jesus was giving life before Jesus became the life giver on the other side of the cross. This story was a precursor to what was going on. And so this is proof of a few things. There's a few things we can understand about Jesus by this story of Lazarus, the resuscitation of Lazarus, the bringing Lazarus to life that he did. The risen Lazarus is proof of Jesus's divinity. This is an important piece of the puzzle because Jesus was fully human. Jesus was fully divine. He lived a fully human life like you and I do. And in a way that is mind boggling to our finite minds, he also carried the infinite with him because he was fully divine. And the fact that Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead 
gives proof of Jesus' divinity. It also gives proof of Jesus' power over sin and death. It gives proof to the fact that he is indeed the life giver. He is the one that changes things because he clearly changed things for Lazarus in the here and now. He changed things for Lazarus' family in the here and now. And what this also gives us proof is that this story is a glimpse into the future of Jesus. It was a future that we could peer into of Jesus's life as he brings Lazarus from the dead. Now, of course, after this miracle, man, it put a target on this family. It put a target on Jesus. It put a target on those who are Christ followers. And it put this target in such a way that there was no stopping the plans to kill Jesus. It was happening. They knew it. Sure enough, the disciples were right. They show up in Judea and it's, it's time. But here's the thing. What those authorities that set out to kill Jesus didn't understand and didn't fully comprehend was by them declaring war and saying it's time for Jesus to die. There was no stopping them from that mission. And what that did was it gave birth to the fact that there was now no stopping Jesus's victory over death to come. What the enemy intended for evil, God used for good in a mighty, mighty way. And they could not see it. Everybody was in the here and now. They they were just trying to work out what was going on here. And Jesus said, now there's something way bigger going on. Something way bigger that you can't see yet. And so we fast forward to today. We fast forward to our time today and here's Easter. Man, it's a sweet time, isn't it? What a beautiful day it's been. Anybody get up this morning and do resurrection rolls, Easter egg hunts? Yeah, right? Resurrection rolls, Easter egg hunts. Maybe you get a little new shirt. I got a new shirt for today. So excited about it. You know, new life, new shirt, all that kind of thing. You know, it's a fun time. It's a remarkable time. We share in the hope. We share in this joy of resurrection because we get, we live on this side of the resurrection. So we get to experience this side. Now, as I kind of walk through today's story, chances are when you put yourself in Mary's shoes or when you put yourself in Martha's shoes, your heart may have become really heavy for them. You may be kind of wondering questions that maybe you've asked even in your own life about the loss of a loved one or the loss of something in your life the difficulties that you've faced, the betrayals that you've had to undergo, maybe you've said in your hearts or maybe you've said as you are praying something like, Jesus, I love you. But why did it have to go down like this? Why did, it have to, why did this story have to play out the way that it played out? I don't understand. Where were you? Maybe you've asked questions like, why is death and darkness necessary? Why is the difficulty of this a part of life? Why is it that all living things die? Why is it that darkness steals so much from us? That this world is hard and it's a difficult teacher. Why does this exist? And here we are on Easter Sunday giving thanks for this cross. I hope you also find yourself deeply moved. Just like Jesus, snorting with anger. I know snorting's an ugly word, but you get it. Snorting with anger. 
by the things or by the sins that rob you of the life God intends. It's far more than the loss of a loved one. It's that the enemy loves to rob you of the life that God intends for you. And we can be angry over that. We can find ourselves very upset over the fact that the enemy loves to rob us of life. If Jesus did it, it's okay for us to do it as well. But here's what we have to understand, this truth. You ready? Death and the cross were necessary for you to fully embrace the joy of the resurrection. It was necessary for Lazarus to die, for Mary and Martha to understand the fullness of his resurrection, his resuscitation. It was important for them to see the full picture in this. Sometimes it's hard for us to walk through the shadow of the, um, of the valley of death in order for us to learn to fear no evil. It is important for us to have to navigate the valleys of life in order for us to understand and appreciate and long for the mountaintop of life. These are all parts of life because you'll never experience the fullness of life without death. If that wasn't a part of life, you will never experience the fullness of life. Jesus came to give us the fullness of life. It's not possible without death. But because of death, Jesus is the source of life change. See, Jesus counted the cost to go back to Judea. Jesus saw the big picture while all the people around him couldn't see the big picture. It sounds like us, doesn't it? There's so many things we just can't see. We can't understand why things are happening in our life the way that they are. One thing we can always understand is Jesus does. God does understand and he can see what we can't see. Jesus knew that when he entered into Judea, it would spark the end of his earthly life. And he knew it was worth it. He knew it was worth it. Now, here's a question for you. On the backside of Lazarus, rising from the dead, do you think his life changed? Do you think Lazarus lived differently after this experience? <laughs> yeah. Would your life be different? Maybe some of you have had a near-death experience. And there was a reality to the frailty of life. There was a reality to, oh my gosh, life is so short and so precious. I need to go ride a bull named Fu Manchu. You know, I need to go. Maybe you've been down this road and you know how life changes after a near-death experience. Yeah, Lazarus's life changed dramatically. And we understand that even though that miracle was temporary, Lazarus was gonna die again. He was gonna die in earthly life, physical death again. But man, I tell you what, this moment, it impacted what he believed about God. It helped him to see Jesus clearly for who Jesus was. That allowed him to see God clearly for who God was. And it allowed him to be able to see himself how God sees him. He was precious to God. We are precious to God. God loves each and every person on this earth. Experiences shape our lives. There's no question about it. I mean, think about it. Think about it. You know, if, if somebody tells you that they just had the best ramen on the, on, in the world, okay? Anybody like ramen? Yeah. Oh, bless your hearts. 
You know, I mean, ramen. Okay, somebody tells you, okay, this place over here has the greatest ramen in all of the world. And you're like, well, that sounds all great and everything, right? And you, but, but do you believe it? Maybe not. Let's just say they have the best steak in all of the world. Now we're talking. Okay, something, yeah, now we're talking. They have the best steak in all the world. Or maybe the, the best sushi in all the world. But sushi in all the world, right? You know, maybe they have the best sushi. But, but somebody tells you that, you don't believe them immediately, right? But then all of a sudden you go and you try it. And then you experience it. And you let that sushi into your body and it does whatever it does inside your body. I don't know what it is, but it's, you just go, oh my gosh, this is the most remarkable sushi I've ever had in all of my life. What do you then do? Yeah, you start telling people. See, it's one thing to be told sushi is great or ramen's great or steak is great. It's one thing for that. Whole nother thing when you experience it. And you know where I'm going with this. You understand where I'm going. It's one thing to know about the resurrection. It's one thing to know about Jesus raising from the dead. It's a whole nother thing, as Paul says, to know the power of the resurrection. To know what Jesus does inside of your life because of the resurrection. It's a beautiful, beautiful reality. The resurrection changes us. It makes the love of Christ's followers change from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. God brought Lazarus back to life and through Jesus, he brings us back to life. Like we say next week, we have a baptism celebration coming up. And, uh, and next week as we baptize, we're gonna bring the baptismal candidates under the water. We're gonna say you are buried with Christ by baptism unto death. And you are raised to walk in a new life with Christ. This is the reality of what we are doing. And like Lazarus, even though we understand in part what the resurrection really means, we know that our earthly lives are going to come to an end someday. But what we also know is that the complete fullness of resurrection is still to come. We know that paradise awaits and it gives hope. And as it gives hope, we live in that hope of that future resurrection in the way that we live now. The resurrection changes us. It changes everything. Tim Keller wrote in his book, Hope in Times of Fear, this, these words. He says, if Jesus was raised from the dead, it changes everything. How we conduct our relationships, our attitudes towards wealth and power, how we work in our vocations, our understanding and practice of sexuality, race relations, and justice. It changes everything. We look at the world differently. It helps us to see a bit more, like Jesus was able to see more than what was going on in the here and now. We now understand that there's more going on and it changes the way we live. It changes how we see this world. Now, a little bit of an unashamed pub moment here. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be going through stories of four different lives in our congregation that have been changed. There's a series coming up that we're talking about, begins next Sunday, called The Implications of Easter. The Implications of Easter. And what I hope will happen is that you choose to come back next week as we talk about how the resurrection has changed lives and how the resurrection can change your life to where you're not just hearing it, but you're experiencing it. You're getting to experience the life change 
that maybe you're here this evening and you're thinking, I've always wanted. I've tried to follow Jesus. I've tried to do the religion thing. I've tried to do the church thing. I've given up on the church thing and I've tried it on my own and I've tried other religions and I've tried all these other things. I've tried and nothing's stuck. Come next week. Let's see how it can stick. Let's talk through the implications of what the resurrection means in your life as you hear interviews of people and how Jesus brought them literally from death to life in a really remarkable, tangible way that's not just some ethereal spirituality, but in a real life here and now thing. I hope that you'll choose to be here over these next four weeks and not just here, but experience how life can change because of Jesus's sacrifice, because of Jesus's resurrection and the ability to continually raise you to life as well. Father, we love you and we praise your name today. Gosh, this is Resurrection Sunday and Lord, this is our Super Bowl. This is it. This is the day that we all look at and go, this is what it's all about. And Lord, because of your death, burial, and resurrection, there are people across this room, there are people across the the internet that are watching this right now and they know that you change everything. There are people across this room and there are people across the internet that they're questioning and they're wondering, is is this really true? It seems too good to be true. Lord, will you help them to see that it's not? That Lord, you sent Jesus to this earth to do something that nobody else had done, can do, or ever will do. Lord, he ushered in a new way. A way to know you, the real you, to see you clearly. Lord, may you help us to see Jesus clearly. May you help us to see that, yeah, we have to understand that death is a requirement in order for us to gain resurrection, in order for us to gain life. And Lord, you are the one that changes the way we operate in the dark times on this earth, changes the way that we see challenge as we live on this earth, changes the way that we talk about you, changes the way that we hope in the future. Father, there are tons of implications of what the resurrection means. Lord, tonight, will you stir in our hearts and will you move in us so that we can see you the way that you long for us to see you. Father, we love you and we praise your name and we pray this through the name of Jesus. Amen.